never, ever marks the spot. I am altering the deep. Pray I don't alter it any further. Most of the intelligence community doesn't believe he exists. The ones that do call him the Winter Soldier. I'm Batman. Dracarys. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Top 5 Report, the podcast, like all of you, have been deep into the writer's room as we all come up with our Steamboat Willie slasher film, and we can't wait to see yours. My name is Drew, I'll be your host for the evening. Along with me, as always, is my brother Peter. Here. <laughs> What's up? What's going on, man? Are you ready for all the Steamboat Willie nonsense we're about to get? <laughs> I'm ready for one of them. I don't know <laughs> how many <laughs> we actually need, but uh, yeah, yeah, let's go for it. Well, it's really interesting, because so if you don't know what we're talking about, Steamboat Willie the original iteration of Mickey Mouse is, has uh, reached, has now been released to public domain. And that's uh, that's a huge piece of the, that's, so it's not the current iteration of Mickey Mouse. Disney still owns that, but the original is public domain. And that's basically one of the reasons why Winnie the Pooh got the horror movie Blood and Honey made was because Winnie the Pooh reached public domain. Um, and the way that functions is the sense that they pushed it back as far as they could until they couldn't anymore because of how the contract law and all that stuff is written out. So they went as far as they could, and here we are. You know what I mean? Yeah, the, yeah. Uh, as, far as, uh, as far as I know, Disney like lobbied Congress to um, have a hand in copyright law for like how long something can go before it goes into the public domain, and they did that specifically for mickey mouse so i feel like people don't necess necessarily realize that this is actually a really historic moment um but uh yeah i'm my thing with it is i'm not really sure what uh what distinguishes steamboat willie versus the current version of mickey mouse and uh the only thing I really know is Steamboat Willie has like all black eyes and uh newer Mickey Mouse has uh I you know has the whites of their eyes. So <laughs> but uh yeah, I don't I don't know how it all breaks down, but I'm also not working on a uh, Mickey Mouse fan film, so I guess I don't have to worry about that at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, the um what's interesting is that uh so they lobbied Congress lobbied they lobbied Congress to keep it under their copyright like on several times um, until it's like you can't do it anymore. Now, what's interesting about that is next on the docket uh, is Peter Pan. And then shortly behind him are Superman and Batman. Right. Which the Superman and Batman thing, I know, like literally we're already into like nerd dumb tangent already. You know what I mean? But. The Superman and Batman thing are really interesting, pending a story later on in the news, and I'll come back to that. But in the meantime, Happy New Year, everyone. This is our first show of 2024. Um, how's 2024 treating you, Peter? It's 
it's pretty good. I'm mapping out my uh, Batman and Superman fan fiction as we speak. No, it's it's funny because you drop so much knowledge, and it's so hard not to go on a tangent there. But uh, no, 2024, like we're three days in, but I've been enjoying it. <laughs> I honestly have no complaints so far, except that uh, my allergies have been going nuts. Because, like, right after Christmas, like, we live in the Chicago Atlanta area, and Christmas was, like, it was, like, 50 degrees outside, and it was, like, the very next day, it dropped, like, 20 degrees, and since then, my sinuses have been going crazy. Um, so if I sound weird at all at the epi- on this episode, my apologies, but uh, that's literally my own only complaint. So far, 2024 has been pretty great, <laughs> in my neck of the woods, at least. <laughs> all right. Well... Um, I don't have anything to complain about yet. Um, (laughs) so there's that, the really interesting part is I remember I'm old enough to be as a kid thinking to myself, 2024 was vastly in the future. And here I am. Like if I were to go back in time now and say I was from the year 2024, that's like mind blowing. That's like movie level mind blowing to anyone in the eighties or (laughs) nineties. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, that, I, I think the future is just disappointing <laughs> overall. <laughs> like, where are the hoverboards and flying cars? Like, what's the deal, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, where are the hoverboards and flying cars? But, you know, hey, that doesn't mean we're not going to get there soon. Um, So I know we're going to want to discuss a specific movie. Um, did you get a chance to watch anything else other than the big ticket item that we need to discuss? Yes, there was one big movie that dropped. Um, I did watch a couple other movies. Uh, my, we took a week off and I was actually a lot more lazy about it, but in the best way, like I did a lot of just like family time stuff and actually watching a lot of just old Christmas classics, but there was a couple new things I wanted to, uh, go over really quick. So I guess I can dive into that. Um, unless you had anything else for the no, top show, Drew. No, go ahead. Okay, cool. So the well, first see, the watching, the, real quick, the watching and reading thing is like, the movie we're going to talk about is like the only real new thing I watched. Because I was thinking to myself, ooh, I could talk about that. No, I talked about it right before the holidays. Ooh, I could talk about that. Nope, I talked about that right before the holidays. And then with all the family nonsense that took place, I really only had time for the one item as opposed to just watching the other stuff around the house and background noise and that kind of thing with, you know, family related stuff. So that's why I say that. So <laughs> yeah, for sure. Continue. That's how every holiday is. I'm like, Oh, I got a couple of days off. I'm going to play like four video games and like binge through an anime series or something. And it's never that it's always like, wow, I had to do a lot of food prep and random store chores and stuff like that. But uh, yeah. So going into what I actually watched this week, um, On Netflix, there's a movie that I decided to watch with uh, the wife, and uh, it was very on a whim. It was one of those just like, we're looking for something to watch tonight. We don't know what to put on. And uh, there's this movie called The Outlaws on Netflix. Uh, I don't know if you're uh, familiar with this one at all, Drew. Uh, Yes. Uh, The Adam Devine, uh, Pierce Brosnan. Seen this one? Yeah. I think I talked. I think I reviewed it. I think I reviewed it like a long time ago. Okay, so now this is ringing a bell. I didn't realize you reviewed this in the moment, but we were looking for stuff to watch, and uh, I was just like, that movie looks kind of amusing, and we put it on, and I was just so pleasantly surprised by it. Like, I was like, I thought it was going to be 
funny and mildly entertaining. Um, and it's essentially a movie about like, you have Adam Devine who is about to get married and uh, he works as a bank manager and uh, he really has never met his uh, fiance's parents. And uh, they kind of make a surprise visit out of nowhere, but then coincidentally, his bank also gets robbed really you know by masked bank robbers like really close to when her parents show up and there's this really intricate story that plays out about like well who robbed who robbed the bank was it my fiance's parents you know and uh it's basically <laughs> you see adam divine take this plunge into um this like dark seedy world of crime and it is so incredibly entertaining it uh there's twists in it. There's twists that will have you laughing. There's twists that'll have you cringing. Uh, this movie went a couple places that I didn't like, but then another twist would come and then I would get on board with it again. And uh, I don't know how to praise this movie enough, but it's just like, I was kind of just really taken surprised by it and taken for like a really fun ride. So Drew, I know you reviewed this one before it's kind of funny that i forgot about that and since we have talked about this movie i don't want to go on and on too much besides just say like if you are looking for something random to watch on netflix like definitely check this one out i don't know if you were holding anything back when you first reviewed this drew um not really, I, not really. there's an oddly placed uh james bond joke in there um <laughs> <laughs> see i thought that was great because uh yeah so like uh, his fiance's father is Pierce is played by Pierce Brosnan. And they did have like a joke about like his portrayal of James Bond, which I thought I get that that could be somewhat like of a joke you had grown at, but I thought it was pretty funny. Like it wasn't, uh, <laughs> there wasn't a lot of meta jokes in the movie. So I thought that was okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, sure. But yeah, yeah. check that one out. Um, the other thing that I got to watch, what I, which I'm pretty excited about, is um, I finally got a chance to watch the documentary Attack of the Dock. Are you familiar with this one, Drew? No. Okay, I'm hearing a pause. So this I'm movie pause is... For some uh, reason, that sounds familiar, but I know I haven't seen it. You might, you might have heard of it, because this is basically Chris Gore's documentary about Attack of the Show. So oh, like, yes. That's yeah, so like okay. Back in, so back in the day on G4, which was a great uh, TV network about video games and uh, technology and pop culture and stuff, they had a bunch of great shows like X Play, um, Attack of the Show, you know, Web Soup. They had a lot of great things. But uh, Chris Gore was—he's uh, kind of just like a big internet like uh, film critic guy. You know, he has his Film yeah. Threat magazine, and uh, he's probably most noteworthy as a person who appeared on Attack of the Show, which was kind of a tech and pop culture talk show. And he had his segment DVD Tuesday, where he would uh, review, you know, just random DVDs every week. So G4 has uh, been out of the picture for years now. And uh, Chris Gore basically just took it upon himself to put together a documentary that's basically about the history of uh G4 as a uh, TV station and how it started as tech TV and then it became G4 and it became more video game focused. And then he goes into the history of Attack of the Show itself. And uh, there's so many cool tidbits in there. Like 
for example, I had no idea, but Kevin Pereira, who is the host of Attack of the Show, he was just an intern at G4 before he got started. Like, he was just a guy who worked there sweeping floors and getting people coffees. And uh, at one point, like, one of the producers or something realized he was kind of funny, and they decided to put him on camera, and he was just awesome. But then they go through the... Uh, the process of picking a co-host for him and how they like scoured through just like hours of submission tapes and stuff. And at one point the uh, comedian Whitney Cummings was actually the top choice to be his uh, co-host. But then they saw Olivia Munn's submission tape and uh, there was something about her. Like she was kind of this unknown aspiring actress, actress from uh, Oklahoma and they kind of just gave her a shot and brought her on the show and they talked about how Kevin and Olivia had this like legendary sort of chemistry on t on the screen and they talk a lot about how um how both of them like Kevin and Olivia would both do things like they'd put each other in like weird stunts they would wear stupid outfits they would do everything just for like the success of the show and uh, it's pretty cool how they like go through a lot of these tidbits but this is a documentary that I saw getting a lot of hype on online for months. And I actually learned recently that it's on it's streaming on Tubi, my favorite <laughs> Tubi, my favorite streaming oh. app. It's streaming on Tubi right now for free. So I decided to check it out. And because I've heard so much hype for this movie, I felt a little underwhelmed after I watched it. I was like, this was a really fun, nostalgic deep dive. So what you're saying this is you're underwhelming it for me. Well, that's the thing is after watching it, I felt underwhelmed. But then the next day came like I slept on it. I woke up and I couldn't stop thinking about the movie. And my favorite part about this movie is and Chris Gore, I've heard him say this in interviews and stuff like his purpose for making this movie is when you look at the world of, of geek culture right now. We're in this place where things can be pretty divisive and it can be divisive about like you know, do you like the Star Wars sequels? Do you hate them? Do you like Marvel? Do you like DC? But then it also gets more serious where there's like even more like political divides and stuff. And things feel a lot more divided than it used to be. And Chris Gore's like sort of point of making this movie is just to remind everybody like this is how Attack of the Show was. And it was kind of like a golden era where we might not have all liked the same things or, you know, maybe you liked a nerdy movie and I thought it sucked, but it didn't matter because we were all part of this big culture that celebrated all this stuff. And we were supportive of each other and we all thought it was like, you know, everything was awesome. And uh, that was my favorite part of it is after watching the movie, I just kept thinking back on it and just being like, man, I wish those I miss those days of coming home from work every day and popping on attack of the show and just cracking up at it and stuff. And it was kind of a heartwarming experience from that respect, because it really took me back to the good old days of G4. So highly recommended this one as well. Drew, like I said, it's on uh, Tubi. I think it's streaming on YouTube as well. So this one I thought was a, was a really great little watch. Um, it's pretty quick too. It's only like an hour and a half, I want to say. So yeah. Oh, good. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. I'm gonna, now that I know where to find that and now that I'm being reminded that it's there, that'll probably be a quick that'll be a quick. Ooh, I got to go watch that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you want to talk about the big one that we need to discuss? 
Yeah, let's let's do it. Which is great for segueing into news, and it's great for segueing into the list tonight and all kinds of stuff. So, um, so we're gonna talk about Rebel Moon tonight. Um, Rebel Moon came out and hit uh, Netflix. We've been talking about it for a while. Build up to it. Um, Zack Snyder. Just a, a quick history on this. Zack Snyder was supposed to make a movie for Lucasfilm to be Star Wars. They decided to pass on the film. Snyder said, I'm going to still make the movie, changed it to not be Star Wars. And here we go. That's how we get Rebel Moon. That is the very quick Super Reader's Digest version of how that transpired, because we've talked about it several times and how that played out. Um, what was your initial thoughts of the film before we like really deep dive? <laughs> so this movie, this movie draft, right? Wait, let me interrupt how many times did you watch it? I watched it once. I watched it twice. <laughs> okay. um, and there's a reason I watched it twice. So go ahead. So this movie uh, dropped at a weird time because it dropped right before Christmas. And uh, on paper, it sounded like an awesome idea because it's like long holiday weekend. I'm definitely going to have a chance to watch it. But kind of what I was alluding to earlier in the episode I didn't get a chance to watch this right away. Um, I was really busy with family stuff and, uh, you know, whether it be house prep, food prep, there's a lot going on and I didn't watch it right away. But the problem is reviews start dropping right away and you go on Twitter and people are talking about the movie and there wasn't a lot of hype around this film. Like there was a lot less. There's I saw a lot of negative voices around this film. I didn't see a lot of positive voices. And so by the time Christmas was over and I had like an open time to just watch the movie. I just wasn't motivated for it. You know, I just kind of took my time with it because I was like, everybody's saying it's bad. So I actually didn't watch this movie until yesterday because I was like, I have to watch it. We're going to talk about it on the episode. I have to watch this film. I came out of this movie going, people didn't like this. Cause I was, <laughs> I was so confused and I was like going into it. I was like, it's pro like I didn't read a lot of reviews like in detail because I didn't want spoilers. But I was like, I'm you know, I was kind of preparing myself for it to be slow, for it to be a slog, for it to be boring. And the first act, I feel like, is a little slow moving. But at the same time, I don't think you could cut any information out of it. It's just they have to establish a lot. And then they go on with the story. But I remember halfway through, I'm like, why don't people like this movie? Like, it's just really solid science fiction, you know? And it's, like, such a cool story about, like, you have this farming village that's basically going against the evil empire or preparing to. And it's such a uh, David and Goliath sort of setup they're going with. And you're basically watching a movie of – it's kind of like creating the first part of a story. You know, it's the first movie in a series, but – the movie's focusing on this farming village and uh, the people who go out to recruit people. They're basically recruiting their team. It's kind of like that heist montage where you have to get all the different people. You know, you get the woman who's like a really good swordsman and then you get the guy who's like kind of this forgotten about general, but he has the uh, tactical knowledge you need and you're assembling this group to go against the evil empire. And I thought it was just really like a really solid science fiction movie. I, I'm not going to say it's the greatest movie I've ever seen, but I thought it was like 
a solid like I want to say like seven or eight out of ten film like I I can't complain about it actually my only well we can get into complaints later but that's kind of my main my main takeaway was just like I don't know why people aren't liking this (laughs) you know what I mean (laughs) so I'm I'm glad you kind of started there um so first off uh the critics started jumping on this immediately and saying it was a piece of garbage and it's a horrible film and blah 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 um, here's what I got to say to that. We learned very recently and we discussed on this show about how Rotten Tomatoes had rigged scores. I'm so I love here. OK, keep going. What? <laughs> I love that this is where you're going with this, but keep going. And, and uh, the rigged scores where company studios were paying people to write negative or positive reviews to rig the box office. This is not a new thing. I personally have hated Rotten Tomatoes since its inception because I didn't think it was a fair thing. And I'll, I'm going to do this real quick. Let's say 100 people go see a movie. They're the only 100 people that saw the movie. And you want to know if you should see it. So you decide to go to Rotten Tomatoes. Well, let's say of those 100 people, 50 of them actually checked out the Rotten Tomatoes website. But they're not all going to leave a review. Let's say half of that actually left a review. But let's say half of that actually liked the movie. Ultimately, what you're getting is, is like a review of like from six people out of the how many that actually saw the movie. It's a very skewed, bizarre way of looking at it. Like one person could review the movie and say it's the most amazing, give it 100 percent. And if they're the only one that reviewed the movie, then the movie sits at 100 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Isn't that messed up? But then you have these people that go in and stagger it with these rigged reviews and there we go. Um, so Rotten Tomatoes has always it's always bothered me. But then when I found out it was rigged, it basically made Rotten Tomatoes an invalid, no longer coherent website to even bother with ever again. So when I started seeing the Rotten Tomatoes scores, I'm like, irrelevant does not matter. And that's real. That's all that went through my head. A hundred percent irrelevant. Who cares? Right. And I started seeing some internet stuff, say some Twitter things. Okay. And then I was like, I really am a firm believer that you need to watch the movie for yourself. And that's the only way you're going to get any legitimate review. Like the only way you're going to get a true review and is to watch the movie yourself. Right. So that being said, before I go into my thoughts of the movie, Rebel Moon hit number one immediately on Netflix and stayed number one through New Year's Eve. So that's the December 22nd through New Year's Eve, Rebel Moon stayed number one. Um, also, on top of that, um, Zack Snyder said, and I'm quoting here, the Star Wars audience, they've grown up, they're adults now, and I think it would be cool to make movies for them. Yes, Zack, I want you to make movies for us too. So when I watched this movie, knowing that it was supposed to be a Star Wars film, and he said, well, I'm making it anyway, even though they don't want to make it. My brain was going, when I first started, I was like, my brain is telling me this is the Star Wars movie we never got. And I had to go stop thinking about it that way and just enjoy the movie. And it's hard to not see the parallels. You know what I mean? It's hard to not see the farming village like Tatooine and then the empires with the big ship. And then, you know, like, it's hard to not see those parallels. 
And when I was watching it, I was like, okay, you see the parallels, you get it. But again, it's its own machine. And when I was thinking about Star Wars and that quote he said, we're adults, Star Wars fans are adults now. When you watch Star Wars 1977, this first film, no one had ever seen Star Wars. It was the first thing in the theaters. They talk about this thing called the Clone Wars. That went over our heads. We didn't know. What's the Clone Wars? You heard about the Jedi Order. What are that? What's that? You talked about the Imperial Senate. What's that? I don't know what that is. There were other things sprinkled throughout that you're just like, you didn't know what they were. And they went over your head, but you're like, yeah, yeah, tell me more. Come on, I'm with you. Let's go. Tell me more. And you had to run with it. And then when you waited for the next movie to come out, you had to con- you had to communicate and discuss and speculate and think back and fill in the gaps for yourself. Okay, there was this war called the Clone Wars. We don't know what that means yet, but maybe we'll find out. But clearly, Luke's dad fought in it. You know what I mean? We had to do that back then. And it was like George Lucas dropped us into the middle of the story. Okay. So you start watching Rebel Moon, and that's exactly what Snyder did. He told us some backstory stuff that we didn't really fully understand. And we're just kind of like, okay, I'm with it, but I don't know what that means. But all right, I'm rolling. I understand what you said, and I can follow along. And I'm paying attention to the script and like really dissecting the movie as I go. It's almost like when I was looking at it from the from the guise of it being a Star Wars film, because it's the Star Wars film he never got. And this was my brain trying its hardest not to look at it that way. <laughs> is that it's like Zack Snyder understood how to make Star Wars better than some of the directors we've had to deal with making Star Wars. And I'm dead serious when I say that. Um, and come at me, bro. Like, that's all I'm going to say on that one. Like, I really think when I, when I think about what Zack Snyder did with rebel moon, and then I look at what Abrams did with like rise of Skywalker, for example, I really think it should have been Snyder on that (laughs) front instead. Um, and that's a whole nother can of worms. We can, that's a whole nother podcast. But what I loved about it was he was giving us all this stuff. And then suddenly the main girl had to tell us a story we got a flashback that was phenomenal and it like really like helped you're like okay i know what the empire is now and i got all this backstory and i was like into it right and then it takes you on a whole nother like trajectory and yes they're going and picking up the members of the team and then there's amazing action sequences and amazing set pieces and believe it or not a lot of that cgi was actual practical effects and you know what i mean like it was cool there's a there's a shot in the movie where there's two grounded uh, starfight starships like the shuttles that the I'm going to call them the Imperials, but they're like the soldiers from the mother world. That's what they are in the movie. Um, but they the soldiers from the mother world like they're landing craft. Right. There's two of them parked because they've already yeah. landed in this shot. And then there's two of them coming in for a landing. And there was a video I was watching on YouTube with Zack Snyder. who was doing an interview and he was talking about how they did that practically. And he goes, the two ships that are parked are actual set pieces. We built those ships. The two ships that are landing are helicopters that got CGI'd over them to create the, the nice. drop ships. What's cool about that is the helicopters created all the practical dust and debris lifted up from the rotor blades moving the sand and dirt around. So that's, that's awesome. how they got that. Pro- I'm like, that is a 
it's brilliant. It's that kind of stuff that you look at. Um, that you start to you say, I'll, I'll let you keep going, but just a tiny yeah. tangent. Hearing that, it makes me wonder if he did similar things on Man of Steel. Like, I think there's some of those moments where you have, like, Superman with Lois in the desert with the military, and they're waiting to be picked up by some of uh, Zod ships, like, uh, you know, pretty similar yeah. ships to what they had in Rebel Moon, you know, like the uh, the shuttles that would land on the ground and pick them up. I wonder if that, if similar techniques were used in Man of Steel, because in the desert, Zach would have wanted the uh, helicopters to be kicking up sand, you know, when he filmed that shot. So I'll let you keep going, but that's something that uh, piques my interest there. Yeah. So, um, so I'm watching this and my brain is just like in complete awe of like this whole thing that I'm looking at and I'm, I'm enjoying the story. Right. And I kept my, my, I, again, I kept thinking star Wars and I kept trying to pull myself away from that because of, the backstory. If I was an average moviegoer, if I didn't do this podcast and I was an average moviegoer walking into this, I wouldn't have known that nonsense. That's right? true. So, but when I look at the fact that when I look at how the story was constructed and when I look at the script and like the dialogue and things they told us and then suddenly showed us and then filled in the gaps, I thought of two things. One, there's a really funny meme with a guy sitting on a couch that has his like wife sitting next to him and it says, you know, if my wife would stop talking and asking questions, the movie will answer all the questions for her, which made me laugh. But it also made me think to my, all those negative reviews. And I was like, you guys need to pay attention to the movie you're watching because all those negative reviews, I don't think they saw the movie. I think they just went Zack Snyder and shit on the movie. Were people really saying this movie though well what what was more like any of the reviews saying that the movie was confusing there were a lot of movies there were a lot of reviews that said the movie was confusing and that's the part that's i didn't understand bad. it's the part i didn't get i'm like the movie makes sense completely like everything makes sense you're not this watching the movie like <laughs> linear Zack snyder stories i think i've ever seen like i can't imagine being confused watching this movie there is a lot of like and I know that I probably need to watch it again to pick up on everything, but you can tell there's some deeper themes. There's like some uh, anti-colonization. There's some anti-war themes. There's some there's some deeper themes in there that you might not pick up on. But I thought the story was so linear, like I couldn't imagine being confused by it while watching the movie. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't. And I 100% agree. And I'm with you. Now, I said I watched the movie twice. After my brain decided to, like, get it out of its system for what it was, I watched the movie a second time specifically for comprehension. Because I all the you. Star Wars nonsense was out of my brain, and now I can just focus. And I watched the movie, and it is an incredibly beautiful shot film. There are these yeah. wonderful visuals, these wonderful camera angles, this wonderful photography that was done. The action sequences are fantastic and they're fun and a lot of times they're practical. And I love how he used a bunch of slow motion stuff that he that we haven't really seen since 300. Um, there's this one shot. It's I love it. It's a gorgeous shot. Um, obviously, in the beginning, when she's plowing the field or whatever with the big planet like cresting over the horizon. I love that shot, dude. It's so cool. And the lighting effects and everything. Um, and then 
there's the shot in the flashback sequence where she's like she like sprints forward shoots the gun kills some people whatever and then she's planting the flag for like the victory the victory flag the way yeah, that the, the way the wind grabs it and uh like tightens it in the right timing yeah that was probably done with cg but it reminded me and i'm this is a this is a whole nother thing it reminded me of certain artwork i've seen from another franchise that makes me very excited for henry cavill's warhammer um yeah that's totally a series. warhammer shot <laughs> that was clearly a warhammer shot and i loved it i'm like oh my god and then i was like warhammer is gonna be amazing i can't wait but that's a whole nother <laughs> thing um but no uh the lightsabers really cool they're not even lightsabers we're not even using that word but there's no other way of explaining it because they were swords that suddenly turned red they started glowing and i loved how when she waved them around it actually had the trail that followed i thought that was amazing yeah. um the spider yeah, creature. I them, like i saw them as like swords that could be heated so hot they be they become you know bright plasma red but it's probably some alien metal that the, it doesn't hit the melting point yet, so it's still solid, but they're so so hot they can, like, cut through anything. Yeah. It was a really cool way to handle a lightsaber without it being a lightsaber. But keep going, the spider monster, that was yeah, uh, pretty bad. Yeah, the spider bad. monster was really cool. That was awesome. By the way, the spider creature was played by Jenna Malone, who was in Sucker Punch. She was in Man of Steel. She, You know what I mean? But not Man of Steel. I she saw was she was I didn't, and like I saw after I watched the movie, I saw that she was in it, and I was like, "Where the hell was she?" <laughs> so now it's, I know she's the Spider Monster. That's pretty awesome. Well, now like I, that was the thing. Like I saw her too, and I was like, "Where is she?" And I looked it up, and I was like, "Oh, she's the Spider Monster." And then when I watched the movie a second time, you can actually see it when some of the close-up shots, like ju like her jawline and like the way she delivered the line, I was like, "That's clearly Jenna Malone." Um, but the movie was—I thought the movie was great. Now, when you get to the end of the movie, there's a lot of questions on the table. There's a lot of plot holes. But there's plot holes because there's a second movie coming in April. This is a part one, and there's a part two in a couple months. Right. So I really feel that if you paid attention to the film, when the movie's over, you should have the exact same questions I do, but they're probably going to get answered because there's another movie coming. And that yes. made me really get mad at the reviews because you didn't watch the movie, nor did you pay attention to the title. <laughs> so I'm going to say this. I think everyone needs to see this movie because I thought it was fantastic. I really, really enjoyed it. However, I want you to watch. I challenge you to put down the cell phone, take a breath and just watch the movie and formulate your own actual opinion and stop looking at the internet. <laughs> so, but that's my big review on rebel moon. And I know we're going to talk about it a lot more, but I was really like, I was kind of really impressed by it. And yeah, I thought, I thought it was great. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I can probably touch on a couple quick things. You said a, like almost all of it and you said it all really well. So I don't want to go on and on, but there is that part. I kind of see it. Obviously this is a spoiler filled review. So I hope the audience isn't minding, but I kind of saw it similar to the uh, Snyder cut of the uh, justice league where you have Zack Snyder. He told us the, um, 
the story the story of the Justice League going up against Steppenwolf and eventually you see Darkseid and we all know how that plays out but then there's kind of an epilogue to that where you have this uh you see this vision into the future in this sort of um uh what's it called the uh not indestructible what's the uh the the DC Comics bad superman the uh the video game oh. why am i blind Oh, shoot. Uh, uh, injustice. Injustice. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I don't know. Why I totally no, okay. I was literally like, where, where is he going with this? What is he talking about? <laughs> but you get this vision into this injustice sort of future and you get that great scene with the Jared Leto Joker and stuff. And that all kind of plays out as like an epilogue to the Snyder cut. And I feel like in um, Rebel Moon, you have that scene at the end where you have um the evil general guy, I can't remember his name, but he sort of gets revived by those like empirical, like kind of druid looking characters and they sort of revive him. And they, I don't know if he was teleported or whatever, or going into some vision state, but he ends up talking to, um, Bellisteros or I can't remember that guy's name either, but he kind of ends up talking to like the big baddie who, like, as we know from the beginning of the film, killed the king and sort of took over the empire. And you get that brief scene, and that's the scene that's confusing. Like, you watch it and you have no idea what's going on. But everything before that was so linear. And so, like, there is kind of that scene that exists as an epilogue, and it exists as a teaser for the next film. But again, but... the next film is kind of like key words. Exactly. So, so I'm agreeing with you. It's okay that you don't have all the answers for that scene because I don't know what what all is going on with that scene either. So that's a really fun one to that's a really fun part to probably rewatch and kind of speculate about. Um, I also agree with you. The movie cinematography wise, beautiful, like Zack Snyder is one of those directors who really you can tell he really holds dear the concept of like every shot a painting like every shot of this movie is a masterpiece my favorite part of the movie the very or not my favorite part but one of my favorite shots the very end when you have um you know our ragtag tag band of heroes are returning to the farming village and they're galloping through the fields of wheat and you see that uh, robot character again you know far off in the distance uh, it goes closer to the the village and you see that robot character standing there and he originally had like a crown of flowers that was made by that village girl and now he has what i'm assuming is made by her or other village members he's got this sort of like antler looking like sort of primitive cool hat and the sun is coming up over the horizon and there's a really cool thing with the light flare of the sun that's dividing the robot's head so you have below him you have below the flare or the you know the lens glare you have the robot's industrial mechanic body and above the lens flare you have that primitive antler looking headpiece and that was like i just point out that shot because it was one of the most beautiful shots of the film and there's so much symbolism in it and i think that's a good spot to point out that's just like that's what Zach, Zack Snyder does. He can pull off like amazing shots like that. Um, but yeah, great film. I I don't want to keep going on and on. I know we've been going on and on, but uh, it was hard to not compare it to Star Wars. But I think the film did a good job of differentiating with that sort of like it kind of had like a weird like 
space sci-fi like world war one or two aesthetic but i think it was really uh successful in differentiating it i really like their blasters the guns the way they right, uh, right. it it uh it he referred to it in an interview like had like a slag kind of a sound to the and i was like like instead of like a laser bolt it was like a slag that came out like it's a, like a bullet slash laser the like kind of like a combination to get that sound effect and stuff i thought the i thought the guns the sounds were fan like that was like really like intriguing me like how do you get that sound and um i mean it could have been computer generated but it could have gone like old school like star wars where they went looking and how do they create that sound but i i thought the sound effects were astounding um yeah for the guns and the way they functioned and i liked how they had they seemed to have like a little bit of a kick to them um and like I know those those aren't real guns, and I know they were probably plastic props, but, like, the way that actors had to, like, create the kick with their own arm, but they were consistent, like, everybody was, because I was really looking for that. I was like, dude, like, there's literally, the guns look like they have a weight to them, like a physical weight. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, If I had to quibble about stuff, like, I kind of was hoping for some cooler-looking spaceships, but we have another movie coming, so I can't really complain about the spaceships. But, like, the technology yeah. and stuff, it was, like, it was, like, on a very, like, borderline fantasy edge of technology. But it was also on this real world, like, practical edge of technology, you know? Um, yeah. And I loved seeing all the different planets. Um, I like how they did, like, an opening crawl to the movie, but they didn't because they had a narrator, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, I thought that was brilliant. Um, but yeah, like at, watch Rebel Moon. Seriously, watch it for yourself. Uh, with all the hype around it, just watch it for yourself. Um, um, I, my only quibble, just since we're sounding off on this, and this is already a long review, so now why not keep it going longer? My only quibble was some of the clothing was a little too Earth-like, you know, like where you have somebody, some one of the farmers at the village. I think it was kind of like the head, like mayor sort of guy had like a. It looked like he was wearing like a Boston like flat cap, you know, <laughs> at one point you have the uh, evil general guy is wearing like a, uh, you know, a shirt and a tie. But I think it does go into that sort of I could be wrong, but I really did get that sort of like World War One and two sort of aesthetic from things. So I think that's what Zack Snyder was going for. I just wish some of the clothing felt a little more otherworldly, but uh, that's not that big of a quibble, you know. Right. Um, all right. So to talk a little bit more about Zack Snyder, um, Christopher Nolan in an interview said that there is no superhero sci-fi film coming out these days where I don't see some influence of Zack Snyder. Uh, <laughs> I know now cool. this, this is the best part about this. Cause this is a great way to cut to cap off the rebel moon review. Because, again, watch it for yourself, formulate your own opinion. For someone like Nolan to say that, Christopher Nolan, one of the greatest directors in the world right now, makes that statement. Here's something you got to remember. Zack Snyder helped a little bit uncredited with the Dark Knight trilogy. Christopher Nolan executive produced Man of Steel, Batman vs. Superman, and did not work on Justice League because he had scheduling conflicts. They've been friends for a long time. Nolan makes this statement, right? The internet went crazy after the statement dropped. And I kept seeing, like, on my Twitter feed, all this 
oh my gosh, this scene from Guardians of the Galaxy is actually a ripoff of this scene from Man of Steel. And this from this over here is a ripoff of this. And this is a ripoff of this. Like you're they're pointing out the Zack Snyder influences, like direct lifts. And it was awesome to see all that. What I got to say about that is this. Zack Snyder is a guy who, in my opinion, got screwed over by Warner Brothers, the Warner Brothers execs, not the studio, the Warner Brothers execs who didn't understand what was going on because they were looking. They kept trying to check boxes and they weren't letting a director make his thing. So Zack Snyder started getting crapped on in terms of the Internet. I think what happened is, is. The filmmakers in Hollywood want to work with Zack Snyder. Everyone says he's one of the coolest guys to work with. Everyone says he's one of the coolest guys anyway. So the filmmakers all want to work with Zack Snyder. The actors all want to work with Zack Snyder. Zack Snyder's making all these great movies. The only people who don't like Zack Snyder are the internet trolls that aren't paying attention and think they know better than everybody else. So again, Zack Snyder, we love you. I think you're a fantastic director, and I really enjoy your work. I can't wait for Rebel Moon 2. So if you're listening... I hope you heard this. <laughs> um, <Absolutely>. So, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, uh, Zach, for some awesome movies. And I think uh, Netflix is the perfect place for Zack Snyder, too, because I know. Netflix is a place where he gets to do what he wants, and that's what I love. So Yeah. Now, um, Zack Snyder did say that he think it would be cool to make a James Bond film. He think it would be cool to see, like, a 20-year-old James Bond in the humble roots of that he comes from. Um, I'm with you. I don't know if Zack Snyder is going to be allowed to make a Bond film because they have very strict rules on who's allowed to direct slash star in a Bond film. But I think that'd be cool. Um, let's go about some news and I'll cover some quick ones because we still have stuff to talk about. And I don't want to spend the entire night talking about a ton of stuff. Yeah. Um, George R.R. Martin, uh, Martin from uh, creator of Game of Thrones announces Song of Ice and Fire animated series. Um we got some animated series uh, coming along the way. Um, uh, the Nine Voyages has revealed that Nine Voyages pivoted from a live action show to an animated show, joining the other two animated Game of Thrones spinoffs that are in talks at HBO. Um, okay, I'm cool. I'm down. Sounds Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're just like, all right, I'd like you to finish Winds of Winter, but I clearly you're not going to do that. Um <laughs> Um, the max, I got the, the way this reads is hard. So I got to put a comma. I got to put a pause. I got to put some punctuation in the headline here. Max it prequel series. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, welcome to Deary has been, the release date's been re- delayed to 2025. Um, there's not a lot of reasons why, but I have a feeling it had to do with the strikes. If I had to guess. Oh, um, which is totally fine. I think we're all okay if something gets delayed because of the strikes. Um, Dick Grayson and Hush are reportedly supposed to appear in the Batman Part Two, um, which is supposed to start beginning to film, uh, begin filming in the summer of '24. Um, Dick Grayson making an appearance, cool. Are they going to do the full Robin in this movie? I don't know. Hush is a villain that totally fits in the Matt Reeves world. Like, yeah, that's true. totally fits in the Matt Reeves world. And I think that's a phenomenal uh, go. So this could be really, really cool. Um, I know for those people who are comic book readers, you know what I'm talking about. Hush is fantastic. If you're not a comic book reader 
Um, that's okay. Uh, you're gonna hopefully you'll get to learn who Hush is when you see um, the movie. Uh, where are we at here? Um, reportedly, a Super Smash Brothers movie is being pitched by Illumination. Um, I think we all hoped for this, but I think some of us were hoping that it would build to Super Smash Brothers. Like we did the Mario movie. It's time to do the Zelda movie. Then we got to do the Kirby movie. Then we, you know what I mean? Like build to it, like um, like make your Avengers style mcu style nintendo films or something like that i think that'd be awesome make a fire emblem movie and you know then you can get lucinda and all them in you know what i mean like that'd be cool um yeah the Metroid movie. well yeah that's like what i'm hoping for is they do a slow build because um i mean the N nintendo cinematic universe like that just has so much potential and if they can just like you know usher in like over the next decade like make this the era of the nintendo cu that would be awesome so i i think they they need to take their time and uh just not screw it up you know because <laughs> yeah. mario is awesome and i want more of that on a big scale you know yeah um all right according to a new report avengers secret wars runtime is a massive five hours so long that the reported plan is to split the story across two movies I'm going to say this. Um, this comes from comic book resources. I've said before that I don't know if I can fully trust comic book resources. This struck me as odd because Avengers Secret Wars isn't even filming. And you right. can't judge the length of a movie based on the length of the script when you have to account for like action sequences and all that stuff. Um and we already know we're probably getting it to be two movies because there's another Avengers film before it. I thought this was a really weird title. So if you see this article, I don't think you should. I really think you should take it with a grain of salt and be very careful what you believe out of it, um, because it, it's we're probably going to get two movies out of it. But they haven't started filming, so there's no way to even determine runtime. <laughs> yeah. So. I, I would agree with that. Also, we've talked about like the MCU is kind of in a bit of a state of flux because um, you have uh, you, because of the stuff that went on with uh, Jonathan Majors and, you know, what's are they scrapping Kang, you know, and who's going to be the next well, big bag? I, bad. You know, I feel like you got to take everything with a grain of salt. But what we were going to say, because I feel like that might have been a segue. <laughs> <laughs> it was a per it was the perfect segue, clearly. As long as we've been doing this show, you found the perfect way to get us in here. Uh Coleman Domingo, who played um I am blanking on the name of the character. He was the uh rich black guy from Walk Fear the Walking Dead early seasons. Um okay. I don't know if he I, I fell off the Walking Dead bandwagon, so I don't know how far he made it into the show, but he was like the rich black guy at the beginning of Fear the Walking Dead. He is being rumored to take over the role of Kang in the MCU. Okay. Um, I thought he was a good actor in Fear of the Walking Dead, so I don't have any problem with that. So it looks like they might just recast. And don't forget, they recast uh, uh, War Machine, so that might be okay. We might not notice. <laughs> so. It'll be interesting to see if it's like their big main villain and they recast that character. How is that going to play? You know, just because like War Machine, like Rhodey isn't like one of the main like he is a big part of the avengers but he's not like one of the main like core like five of them so that's kind of what i'd be curious to see like they recast the main villain of this phase how is that going to play out but uh that's kind of cool if they uh if they're figuring out how to deal with the situation you know yeah 
Um, so we'll see. Um, where was I at with this? Um, okay. Um, let me see. Remember how I said uh, Batman and Superman are coming up for renewal? They're coming up to oh, for public okay. domain. Public domain, yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's all that con that talk about how Zack Snyder needs to let Netflix get control. There's been a lot of internet talk like Netflix, please take control of these characters so Zack Snyder can finish the Snyderverse. And things are starting to come out of the woodwork like Ben Affleck. You know, the real reason he left was because of Joss Whedon and the execs and he wanted Zack Snyder to be able to finish his movie. And ultimately, he would rather have Zack Snyder direct the Batman movie. That's why Ben Affleck's Batman movie never got made. Um, those all things started coming up. Then I find out about Batman and Superman coming up for public public uh, the public domain. And we had that story about uh, Warner Brothers possibly um, merging with Paramount. Well, sources are saying that if David Zavzlov is unable to sell Warner Brothers pictures, the next step will be filing for bankruptcy. I don't know if you've noticed, but a lot of Warner Brothers projects, a lot of DC specific have been showing up on Netflix lately um, because of some copyright things with Warner Brothers and Netflix. My, con my interesting thing is when I saw the public domain thing, what if Netflix gets control of certain characters and certain iterations of them and Zack Snyder can do it? It's like, this, it's like there's so much to unpack on what I just said. It's almost like a conspiracy theory. Check it out. Suddenly all the reverse the Snyder Cut people come out of the woodwork and go, yes, there's the there's the path. You know, I don't know. That's like that would be a crazy shakeup for a lot of reasons. Yep. And uh, sure would. it would be sweet for a lot of reasons. But the pairing of like. DC's two biggest characters going to the public domain, as well as like Warner Brothers potentially filing for bankruptcy. I don't even know, like, how to unpack that. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, because there's so many possibilities. Like, oh, Superman and Batman go in the public domain. Are we going to get some crazy iterations of this these characters? Are we going to get versions of these characters where we're like, oh, they're actually handling these characters better than the comics have for years and, you know, stuff like that? Or is it going to be just a, you know, that gut punch to uh, all my nostalgia growing up as a Warner Brothers kid and loving dc superheroes and loving the looney tunes characters and uh, all the cartoon network shows and stuff like it's a really uh that's a really scary statement to me you know and i'm sure you're right there with me drew <laughs> yep i certainly am <laughs> yeah i'm certainly with you right there so you know you i just don't know what to say about it right now but there's a lot to unpack warner brothers could be going under that could be crazy you know what i mean like what all what does all this mean but ultimately, what it means is y'all have to go see Rebel Moon because it was great. And uh, we're going to have to talk about Rebel Moon Part 2. There's there's a lot more to discuss with that franchise if it becomes a franchise. And that's another thing. And I know I'm rounding myself back to Rebel Moon, but that's another thing. This is a movie where you, we don't know characters. We don't know story. We don't know, fran uh, we don't know factions. We have to learn it all as we go. And that's what movies used to be. Now we have a lot of sequels and remakes so you know everything walking in the door you know you're walking into avengers knowing all the characters you know all the players you're not getting surprised the way movies used to do it back in the earlier days of the 70s and 80s and stuff and i really feel that this movie fits very well in that 
genre of you getting a really cool story and going on an adventure um, in this really cool fantasy world. So, Absolutely. Yes. Uh, so that being said, let's talk about tonight's list and uh, head off into our new year. Sound good to you? Yeah, let's let's do it. <laughs> um, we're going to roll the thing and we'll be right back. Now for the top five. Okay. Uh, Peter, this was my pick. And I feel, going back and looking, I feel like I shouldn't have picked this because I really feel like we're revisiting a list. Now, um, if you look at our conversation as we closed out 2023, I said, let's do this for next week. And you were like, okay. And then you're like, after we closed, turn off the microphones, you're like, haven't we done this before? So back in um, 21, March of 2021, we did a list called Medieval Fantasy Films. Uh, the episode 135, if you want to go back into our archives and check it out, it's all there for you to listen to. Um, your friend Matt Roth and his wife Natalie were on the uh, show with us and we talked about Medieval Fantasy Films. Now, yes. I looked back at all of our lists. Now, tonight I said, let's discuss fantasy movies, right? Now, fantasy takes a completely different route when you say fantasy, because I was in my mind thinking sword and sorcery. So realizing that we did medieval fantasy, I went back in and looked at my list, and I realized my list is very medieval specific. Fantasy can take realms from a various different, like a lot of different shapes and sizes, but my list is very medieval-esque. There's not a lot of magic in my lists like the only one on my list from that episode was willow that really had quote unquote magic in it all the rest of them were pretty straight medieval when i looked at your list and your friend matt and natalie's um they were yours prayed stayed pretty close to the medieval side but theirs were very um yes medieval but they also had a lot of like sword and sorcery to them um so it was kind of like i almost feel like we're revisiting a list but i also feel like i'm not revisiting a list because of the divide does that make sense yes okay uh, i i actually went back and listened to uh that episode that mad and natalie was on it was uh i think it's like episode 135 or something like that it is 135 yeah. collector episode um and uh i listened to it because i wanted to uh see what my list was then and i wanted to stay true to that but this list isn't a repeat of that because this is just fantasy. So that our old the the list we did on that episode was medieval fantasy. So that excludes some pretty big genres. When you think of like, first of all, we didn't include Lord of the Rings at all because we right. wanted to take that out. We didn't include uh, stuff like Harry Potter. Um, I mean, there's tons of sort of modern day fantasy stuff like that. You have like. Percy Jackson, you have uh, anything with like a uh, fantasy creature in the modern world. We totally excluded that. And then you're not even getting into um, some of the more futuristic like space sci-fi stuff that might have fantasy elements that might technically be fantasy. You know, we, we didn't include any of that. So I think there is a big well to choose from. But uh, since we're mentioning that previous episode we did, 
there's definitely going to be some overlap because I can't help that certain movies are just my favorite fantasy movies, whether you include the medieval moniker or not. Like there's certain movies that are just that high on my list. So uh, I have a little bit of a repeat, but I, I also have a little bit of like some new movies to mention as well. So sure. Sure. Um, I tried my best to not repeat, um, but we'll see how that goes. Um, so, all right. Uh, this was my pick. I do have two honorable mentions, so I'm going to toss it over to you if um, you do. But you got to start unless you don't have the honorable mentions. I do have two honorable mentions. Um, I can start with uh, yep. one we've talked quite a bit on the show about. Um, and uh, that one that I went with is uh, Army of Darkness. Um you could also consider it Evil Dead 3. This is, uh, you know, the direct sequel of Evil Dead 2. This is um, Ash Williams from the Evil Dead movies being transported back in time to a medieval landscape. And uh, this movie is hilarious. It has a lot of great uh, slapstick gags. It's got a lot of great humor. It's also got a lot of cool fantasy and horrific elements when it comes to, you know, the big finale battle scene with like a huge army of uh skeletons that were kind of done as a mix of like stop motion and puppetry and stuff like that but you also have like a lot of monsters on the way you have um i mentioned this uh in that previous episode that we were talking about but the scene um it's like shortly after uh ash goes back in time and he kind of enters like this castle courtyard and uh they throw him in a pit like he's kind of like in a prisoner situation where he's thrown in a pit and he has to fight off there's a couple like really witchy looking creatures down there and there's another like pit monster that just looks very ghoulish and monstrous and there's a lot of fun when it comes to ma uh, fantasy and you think of magical creatures i think there are a lot of great moments like that within this movie so yeah that's my first pick it's a classic like i love this movie so nice all right so my first one is uh, from the Jim Henson Creature Shop, and that is Dark Crystal. Um, Dark, Dark Crystal is a classic. We've talked about it on the show before, but it really dives into the realm of fantasy in a very uh, specific way. Um, <laughs> you know, with fairies and, you know, there's definitely that sword and sorcery aspect to it. And yes, there's the castles and stuff, but this is like... This is fantasy in a way like your brain really has to take the ride along with them um, and really kind of allow things to be and really just dive into the world and get sucked in the way they do. Um, my only ever my only quibble with Dark Crystal is and I've thought this all the time is that the pacing of the movie at the beginning was just a little too slow. Yeah. Uh, it takes it takes some time to get going. Once it's going, it's going, but it takes some time. And that was my only ever my only criticism with it, really. But it was one of those things I always just loved the the uh, puppetry, the practical effects. Um, the story is always really cool. I wasn't I, I didn't really like that uh, Dark Crystal show that I think it was Netflix that did um, a while back. Am I right about that? It's Netflix, right? Yeah. Yeah. They did like a one season of a thing. So I actually never finished it. I watched the first couple episodes and from what I saw, I thought it was really good. Actually, I just didn't stick with it. I should go back and watch that, though. Oh, I liked what I watched. I just didn't stick with it. That was the big thing. Okay. There, so. um, Dark Crystal has that thing going just because you talk about the pacing. It has that thing where there's so much craftsmanship that goes into this film where you have 
you'll have like this puppet, you know, you'll have like, uh, you'll have one of the, gel- you know, this Gelfling character and he'll be walking across the landscape and the character is completely fabricated and the landscape is complete completely fabricated by uh jim henson studios so there's so much craft work and it, the way it's filmed it's almost like they're trying to showcase that craft work because there's some moments where it's like you're watching this impressive puppet walk across this impressive landscape and it's all impressive but maybe they linger too long on that impressiveness <laughs> where you're like yeah. okay i'm kind of ready for the next shot of the film so i understand what you mean where it moves a little slow but this is a great call this is a great fantasy movie and my favorite part of the dark crystal is is it a medieval fantasy is it futuristic does it take place on another planet it does it take place on a completely made-up world in another dimension i don't know it's just fantasy <laughs> it just it's just otherworldly in every extent to the point where there's not even any human characters or any recognizable animals. It's just its own thing. Like, I don't know if anything else is as world-builded as Dark Crystal because every single thing in the movie was made up. And that's what's kind of beautiful about this one, you know? Yeah. Um, But yeah, all right, Dark Crystal. Uh, What's your next one for me? Yeah, my next honorable mention is a movie I've mentioned a lot of times. Um, I'm a big fan of this movie series, but this one always stands out to me as the best of them all. And that is Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Uh, This is the fifth movie in the Harry Potter series. I was really glad that I was able to mention a Harry Potter movie on this list because I love that franchise so much. And uh, on the previous list, we really couldn't include Harry Potter because it's technically modern day but uh the order of the phoenix i think is just a really great film like i love all the harry potter movies for different reasons but when it comes down to storage structure when it comes down to pacing when it comes down to um villains that are so good like those great love to hate villains like i think uh madam umbridge in this movie is such a makeshift love to hate villain of a uh, headmaster for Hogwarts in this film that she's just so perfect, but I, I hate her, but she's so great. Uh, this movie, <laughs> but I hate her. I, yeah. <laughs> this movie though, I think it's just like when you look at it on paper and you compare it to the other Harry Potter movies, I think this one's just such a solid piece of cinema. And uh, this is just my favorite one. And I've talked about it before, so I don't want to go on and on, but it, it just has that sort of, structure and pacing and you watch it and you're just like this is actually really good and I feel like all the Harry Potter movies are good and I think as they go they get a lot more serious but I think this one did raise the bar quite a bit uh compared to the previous movies so uh but yeah yeah Harry Potter 5 (laughs) um so the next one for me is uh Jason and the Argonauts um, from 1963. Uh, this is, uh, it's pretty, it's directly on, uh, theology and, uh, not theology, um, mythology, mythology. Thank you. Um, and it's, this is like a really good, um, I guess the best way of wording it is this is like, uh, this crazy epic mythological, adventure film and with really cool stop motion animation effects by uh uh ray harryhausen 
Uh, that's what the movie's known for. This movie, um, I actually got to watch in a history class uh, in school, and I remember watching it and completely blown away by some of the ideas. There's a there's a fight scene I remember very vividly. It's like this sword fight scene where uh, this the army of the undead. He's got to battle this like skeleton like horde, and it's all done stop motion, but it is absolutely beautiful, and it like. And my brain went, I need to see more of this. Yeah. And, you know, here I am uh, playing Dungeons and Dragons the way I do. But it's like, I need to pl- I need to see more of this. And it really, like, captured my imagination. Uh, this is one that I'll never forget, Jason and the Argonauts. Uh, same, same group of guys worked on um, Clash of the Titans as well. But this one I always liked better because I thought the story was better. And, uh, but yeah. Uh, definitely, if you get a chance to watch this movie, I really think you should get it. I, I really think you should take the time um, because I think you'll be if you're a film snob like me, I think you'll enjoy what you're looking at. So, yeah. And, and you can't understate the uh, Ray, Ray Harryhausen special effects um, in this movie. Like he was kind of before EGI and before Star Wars and a lot of other things, he was kind of like the godfather of just like great stop motion awesomeness. Um, and it's actually kind of funny you mentioned this. Uh, Jason and the Argonauts is definitely an influence on uh, Army of Darkness as well. <laughs> so uh, they've got the skeleton army. Sure. That too, but uh, yeah, good stuff. Yeah. All right, man. What's your first pick of the night? Some of these are going to go quick for me, but. Yeah, where to go with this? Um, I'll go with one that uh, we've mentioned a lot in the past. Uh, It's one of my favorite fantasy movies. Uh, Similar to Dark Crystal, like this one does have human characters, but it's similar to Dark Crystal, and pretty much everything in the movie is completely fantasy, completely made up. Uh, I went with the movie Willow, um, which we've We've never strayed from our love of Willow on this podcast, so I don't need to go on and on. But it's such a it's such a solid flick. It's got great uh, it's got great practical special effects. It's got a great story. Um, you can see the um, comparisons to like other great stories that came before it, like uh, Lord of the Rings and stuff like that. But I think it exists as its own thing. And uh, again, this is another one where we've talked about this before too, but. Uh, Bav Morda, like, what a great villain that just gets under your skin and creeps you out. Like, this movie kind of fires on all cylinders, in my opinion. So, yeah. Yeah, and I don't know what else to say about Willow, because we have clearly stated that we love that franchise. That movie. <laughs> <laughs> did we match on this one at all? Uh, no? We did not, unfortunately, no. Because, okay. like I said, I was trying to pick, when I looked at my list, I was like, okay, I was very medieval, I gotta try and stick to my what I stated about sword and sorcery and try and be fantasy if I can. Um, this, this is where I just can't help that Willow is just one of my top five favorite fantasy. Yep, no, I get you. I'm with you. Um, so the next one, the next one, the first one I'm choosing tonight, I'm, it's it's fairly new. That's why it's kind of taken a low pick for me. And that is Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among, Among Thieves. Good call. Good call. Uh, this movie doesn't. If this movie doesn't scream fantasy, I don't know what does. Um, <laughs> yes, yes, it's medieval, but it screams fantasy in the way it encapsulates everything I was saying about the type of movie I was looking for with this list. Um, and it's directly fantasy in the sense of what it is, but it also represents the genre 
in all the best ways. It represents the, the source material in all the best ways. It represents in all the lore itself in all the best ways. So, um, and it's a really, really good movie. Um, so everyone go see that too. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, in terms of my love for the game is one thing. Uh, but what's interesting about Dungeons and Dragons was in terms of fantasy, my first iteration, my first um, introduction to Dungeons and Dragons was the 80s cartoon from Saturday Morning Cartoons. And I had no clue that it was a game. I just thought it was a really fun cartoon on cartoon like on my Saturday mornings. Um, yeah. And I looked forward to watching it. Like I, I have a favorite character and everything, but I did not have any cool like I had not clue what it was aside from, you know, and then years later I find out, oh, that's what that was, you know. Um, yeah. But yeah, so D&D, Honor Among Thieves. And um, I think everything you said was really well, but this is a great uh, this is a great pick. Just related to the Saturday morning cartoon thing, um, I did turn the uh, DVD or the D&D channel on uh, Prime and Freebie. I did turn that on on a Saturday morning recently, and they were playing that cartoon. So I think that's kind of their Saturday morning block is uh, <laughs> playing the old Dungeons and Dragons cartoon, which is pretty sweet. Well, before everyone goes and turns that on, I don't know if that channel is currently on at the moment because there was a lot of layoffs over at Wizards of the Coast. Um, I don't know 100% what's going on over there, but I... Every time I turn on Amazon, it's not available to look at, but that's okay because they're going through. Uh, they're doing some shuffling around, so maybe it'll come back. But <laughs> stuff. So I just have been watching it on the Freebie app itself. Okay. Um, and I did turn it on like a couple weeks ago, and they okay. were playing stuff. But now you got me curious. Now I want to double check. Well, it. maybe it's maybe it maybe I am jumping the gun because, you know, like when you don't watch something for a little while, they pull it off of your continue watching things. And it was on my continue watching for quite some time. And then it got yanked, but it got yanked right at the time they did those layoffs. <laughs> so, yeah, the timing was weird. But anyway. Anyway, uh, your pick, man. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's kind of crazy because I don't want, you know, you don't know if you want to do the, your list in a ranked way or just in no particular order. But I think I might just get out of the way uh, some of the movies that I've just talked ad nauseum about. Sure. But, yeah, that's kind of what I was going with. So <laughs> um, I'll go for uh, I'll go with Princess Bride for my next pick. The Princess Bride, we've talked about it so much on the show and it's kind of what do you even say about it at this point? But my favorite part of this movie, like while I was putting this list together, I, I kept thinking about this movie again. And I know this is more medieval. So I talked about this the last time we did a fantasy list. But The Princess Bride is such a good film. And I think it's such a good film because it's it doesn't rely on special effects. You know, it has some fantasy elements. You know, you have a you have a giant. You have the Miracle Max. You have the R.O.U.S.s. You have these really fun fantasy adventure elements but the film relies on great characters, great dialogue and writing, um, great just uh, acting. Like, I feel like this movie is such a good it's such a good story to look at when it just comes to storytelling in general and not relying on the flashes, the bangs, the whistles, the special effects, just relying on telling a good story. And if you have that alone, it'll stand the test of time. And that's why I love the princess bride. So, uh, yeah. Yes. And, um, 
this is a movie that comes up a lot, so I'm not going to beat the horse anymore <laughs> or the beat the drum anymore and like uh, really like praise it because that's what we do here. We love that movie. Seriously, that movie hits every category. Hey, I'm looking for a man of comedy, Princess Bride. Well, I wanted more of an action film, Princess Bride. Um, I was looking for a comedy, Princess Bride. I'm looking for a movie that is really cool and has an ex-wrestler in it, Princess Bride. Um, <laughs> it's it's all there for you. I don't, you know, it literally has something for everybody in it. And it's it's one of those films that you could probably say is an actually perfect film looking back at it. So, um, so I'm going to get this one out of the way because... No matter how you break this down, and I want to I want to go just back to the original by itself, specifically the original, and definitely as you go as it's built. But Star Wars, I don't have to really go on about this because you, if you've listened to the show, you know our love about Star Wars. But Star Wars is, and when you think about science fiction fantasy, that's how it's always listed. Like it's science fiction fantasy. This is fantasy science fiction. Fantasy always comes first in the category of Star Wars because they were creating, ultimately, they were using mythology to create a fairy tale that was technically set in space. Um, Star Wars was always fantasy first. It is the perfect hero's journey. It's the picking up the sword and fighting the bad guy, dealing with the dragon, rescuing the princess. It's fantasy. It is very sword and sorcery. You have your crazy wizard that gives you the magical powers and all that stuff. And it's it is what it is. Um, it's probably one of the best examples of how to tell proper myth mythological storytelling there is. So, yeah, get that out of the way because we talk about Star Wars enough. <laughs> so are you going with just the series as a whole? Kind or of, mostly the, mo kind of, but mostly the original film just because, you know. Okay. Okay. Good call. Um, I can kind of probably play off of that. I actually went with, uh. Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi is one of my picks, and uh, it was really hard because, to be honest, like within the original trilogy, it's always really hard for me to, to nail down which one is my favorite. Um, I know Empire Strikes Back; that's the one you always want to go with. It's so well written. It's such a good story. There's so much revealed in that story. It's so dark. But then I'll watch A New Hope, and I'll be like. No, actually, this is my favorite one. It's so, like, streamlined. It's such a good, like, movie as a whole to introduce somebody to this universe. And then I'll watch Return of the Jedi and I'll be like, but this one's my favorite one. And I was really thinking a lot about the fantasy elements. And I know that the Force is so prevalent through all of the Star Wars films. So you can use that and go with any of them for being a great fantasy. But I kept coming back to return of the Jedi because it has some of my favorite aspects of the star Wars universe because it has Jabba's palace. It has a slew of crazy alien creatures. You have the big monster, you have the rancor fight scene, which is awesome. But then after that, you go to the Sarlacc pit by the end of the movie, you're fighting in a on the forest moon of Endor with a bunch of Ewoks. <laughs> like it feels su like such a fantasy adventure film to me that's filled with these magic, like quote unquote magical creatures, with filled with these fantastic creatures. And uh, that's why I had to pick this one. But when it comes to the original trilogy, it's almost like it varies. Like which movie am I watching at the time? But 
Re- Return of the Jedi is one that I come back to quite a bit as my favorite. So, so there you go. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, well, I'm going to shift my gears to the other side of the coin. And this is a series as a whole thing. So it's kind of a cheat. And that's Lord of the Rings. Okay. Uh, it's we talk about how when we when you extrapolate it and you talk about like medieval fantasy. Yeah, it's medieval because you're dealing with swords and castles and kings and knights and that kind of stuff. But you are dealing with the sorcery aspect of it because there are wizards and there's orcs and goblins and elves and dwarves and mythic lands and big sweeping caverns and dragons and giant spiders. And um, yeah, I could go on like there's so much to Lord of the Rings that. Um, that's probably the best example of fantasy. I feel like it's, I feel like it's the fantasy that started it all. If you, if you will, I know that might not be correct, but when you just look back, you're like, that's, I feel like, you know, whether if fantasy was a thing, Lord of the Rings gave it the name, you know, um, really put it on the map. And that's where everyone just went, oh, that's what that is. And it became a thing. Lord of the Rings was so popular that Dungeons and Dragons was tech. If you can almost theorize that Dungeons and Dragons was birthed from Lord of the Rings because someone said, how do I be a part of that world all the time? And then they create that game and be a part of that world. How do we get to, how do you make a fantasy series without ripping off Lord of the Rings in some way? There's so much to it. There's so many factions. There's so many like species, races, um, all that stuff, like the elves, the dwarves. It all came from Lord of the Rings, if you will. Or it was borrowed from places to create this epic space. So, yeah, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, right on. I, I feel like it's certainly... Um, I f- And I could be wrong here, but I, my feel is that it kind of birthed modern fantasy in a way that, like... J.R.R. Tolkien like brought about this world that had so much depth and uh, such a grand scale to it and uh, really taught a lot of um, just fantasy stories and franchises uh, from there, like how much depth and like how much you can really put into a world. Because you think of classic fantasy and uh, some of it doesn't seem as deep as Lord of the Rings when you go back to your King Arthur and... um, you know, Peter Pan or, uh, you know, what whatever else, yeah. um, Beowulf, stuff like that. But uh, no, Lord of the Rings, I think I think it probably did birth like the modern scope of what fantasy can be. Um, I did go with the Lord of the Rings film. I was being kind of strict, so I wanted to pick one film, but I went with uh, Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. And uh, this was a tough choice. I feel like watching those movies as they came out, seeing each one in theaters was so much fun. Um, I feel like uh, The Fellowship of the Ring was the movie that wowed me and brought me into that world, but I didn't expect the clincher at the end. I didn't expect it to just kind of end, and so I was kind of taken aback by that a little bit. And then I remember Two Towers was the movie that I saw and I fell in love with, and I just didn't want it to end. Like I remember the credits rolling, and I was just like, I want to still be watching that that movie, but Return of the King, when it came out, that was the movie that I watched and I was so engrossed in. And when it comes to the uh, sort of final moments at Mount Doom, when, uh, you know, you have Frodo and Samwise and, uh, you know, they're wrestling with Gollum and they're trying to get the ring, put it into the, uh, the lava and Mount Doom. I remember being on the edge of my seat for like, 
20 minutes straight at least at the end of that movie like that movie was so suspenseful and it put me in that sort of state of suspense that very few movies have done since um so that's why it goes on the top top of my list but this is a movie series that has such great production such great imaginative things when it comes to the fantasy elements such a great uh, reverence for the source source material that any of the Lord of the Rings movies would be great choices for this one. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so I'm going to go with, for my next pick, a movie called Crawl. Right. Um, Crawl captured my imagination in the sense that, well, first off, I was probably too young to watch it when I was, when I did see it. But it's sword and sorcery with castles and knights and swords and that but then throw in aliens and laser guns and spaceships that it it's like and maybe robots i'm not 100 percent sure um practical effects and you have a young liam neeson as the uh, um on the on the team that goes to rescue the princess from the uh evil alien monster creature that they deal with and it's got the, and it's got the glaive one of the coolest throwing star gold weapon thingies and like <laughs> that there are that makes an appearance in ready player one um the crawl is a fantasy movie from the 80s that just captured my imagination um i wanted that like throwing star glaive like weapon thing that was so cool uh the main character when you look at like his outfit it's almost like it's like you watch Princess Bride and then you watch Crawl and you're like, oh, so if Wesley was like doubly, like if he was even cooler, he'd be the main character from Crawl. <laughs> it's like this, it's like they're this, it's like they're almost the same character except the guy from Crawl fights actual like aliens and monsters and <laughs> stuff like that, where Wesley is he's the Dread Pirate Roberts and fights. What Wes Wesley's a simp? Just say it. <laughs> Wesley's the simp in comparison. I'm sorry, he is. No, he's awesome. He's a fantastic character. But you see, you see what I'm saying? That parallel I'm making. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, dude, I love Crawl. Um, what do you have to? Do you have any thoughts on that movie? This is a, this is a great film. I really want to rewatch it. Uh, I just looked it up on IMDb. I know you said you thought you were too young to watch it, but according to IMDb, this movie's rated PG. Now, when this uh, came, out, they might different standards for pg they had a lot of different standards for pg films so <laughs> but um no this one for like, jaws was pg okay right but, yeah and i feel like gremlins might have been as well when it came out but uh sure yeah this this uh this movie's great i think it's a classic fantasy film in the sense of before I had ever played D and D, I think this movie I associated with what D and D would feel like, <laughs> because the fantasy parts of the movie are so fantasy feeling in that way. So sure. uh, that's kind of just how I used to think of it. But no, really, really great call with this one. So yeah. All right. Uh, what's your final pick of the night? Yeah. So my final pick. Sorry, I need to uh, drink really quick. But uh, my final pick is a movie that we've talked about a lot on the show. Um, I mentioned it the last time we did a fantasy list, but I went with the movie Labyrinth. Um, I adore this movie in so many different ways. This is it. This might be my favorite fantasy film of all time. It's it's so good. It's got such a good story. You have 
David Bowie, who's a great villain, but he just brings all his charisma to the role of uh, Jareth, the Goblin King. You have like this really simple plot, but it's just so fantasy or fat fascinating to see um us is is it sarah it's jennifer Connolly. i think her character's name is sarah being brought into this fantasy world of the the labyrinth that's inhabited by the uh creatures what's that first public cosplay man i really do think that's the first public (laughs) cosplay I always I think you said that as a joke on the show. And I always think about that whenever I watch the movie. I'm like, yeah, if she you know, she's just cosplaying in the park at the beginning of that movie. And I'm like, yeah, you know, if this movie was made now, she'd totally be like an anime, <laughs> an anime girl or something like that. Yeah. But uh, but uh, good, good stuff. But yeah, th- this movie, I just adore. I think it's I love that it takes you from your average modern day life in the eighties and brings you into this fantasy world and the level of craft and uh, fantasy that they bring to every single aspect of that world. is just so enticing to watch. And uh, yeah, this movie is just great. So I know Um, we've talked about it a lot. We have, and we're going to talk about it a little bit more because you and I actually matched on this and I was specifically trying my best to save it for my last thing to talk about. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I this is another movie that captured my imagination in the sense that I wanted more like immediately you finish that movie and you just want more like the first time I saw it I'm like this is amazing I want to be a part of that world I want to be a part of this I want to like it was literally like rewind the tape and let's watch it again because that's when we had VHS tapes kids um, <laughs> that, that's dating us in the realm of like wow there are those podcast hosts are old you know we've just we have been around for a while but there was a time that you know you, you watch that movie it's just you know when you look at it because it's from the same studio as Dark Crystal so when you look at Dark Crystal and you look at Labyrinth and compare them, I always like Labyrinth better. I think maybe because it was like it's faster paced, it's funnier, like I like like the characters better and stuff. Um, and we all fell in love with Jennifer Connelly um, watching that movie. Um, but yeah, just the realm of fantasy, the you know piecing it together, the craft, the practical, the puppetry, the the set design, um, the fantasy world they take you into. What's more, da- what's not more, you know, dangerous than a labyrinth and like the crazy things you get involved with while you're there. Um, David Bowie was great. Um, yeah, just it's such a good film and it makes me want to like watch it right now. So um, <laughs> I actually uh, have been watching this quite a bit because I got my kid into the movie. So that's been really fun to uh because it's it's again it's like I'm always down to watch this so that's been pretty great but uh yeah good stuff I didn't know we were gonna match on this one but this is a great pick because it's not necessarily medieval you know but it definitely is a fantasy movie through and through so yeah great stuff. yep all right well your pick next week man what are we doing yeah so um I had like a week and a half to think of a list and it wasn't until last night that I actually came up with something but uh I thought it'd be fun to talk about our top five favorite video game villains next week so video game characters are you sure we've never done this I went through the list and I didn't see it um we've done video game characters we've done video game environments we've cool. done arcade games we've never done the villains specifically so I thought this cool. would be fun I mean, and I only say that because I feel like we're getting to the point because we've been around for all like we're getting close to that six year mark. And uh, like we're like literally like five, six months away from our six year mark. And 
at what, some point it's going to be it. We're going to do a lot of. Are you sure we didn't do this already? <laughs> <laughs> so, great. Um, it's 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 a wonder we haven't gotten to that point yet. But well, it's, I thought this one was. That's the thing. Like, if t- 280 top five lists. Like, that's a lot. So, anyway. Um, yeah, video game villains. This actually sounds kind of cool because we can get into story, we can get into art design, we can just get into the characters, we can get into the straight boss battles because crap, you know. Like, <laughs> you could, yeah, you could go with something really simple. You could be like, you could go with like Goombas, but you could also go with like Dracula, or you know, like you can go with crazy levels of uh, you know, different characters. So I love that. Yeah, this could be a cool list. All right. Well, you want to toss this episode in the can? Yeah, let's go for it. All right. Everybody, do us all a favor. Check out our website, top5report.com. There you'll find links to our social media, along with our links to our email, top5report at gmail.com. Hitting us up there, social media, either way works. We are on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Stitcher, Audible, Amazon. Uh, You can subscribe to us in those places. If you do, you will not miss a single episode. You can also leave us a review. We love those five stars, um, but we understand criticism because this helps us um, us get better and it makes the words we say feel important. You can follow me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Drew3927. Peter? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Ninja Pierre. And that's where I'll be talking about how my Lego build would be going great if I could just find that one effing piece. <laughs> it's the one you stepped on, man. Um <laughs> Anyway, um, all right, everybody, for the Top 5 Report, I'm Drew. I'm Peter. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.